Welcome to Votes and Ballots. This is the podcast that deals with the most visible part of our democracy's elections. Here we are analyzing recently conducted elections, new voting technologies and recently published papers. We are talking with experts, officials and observers. My name is Daniel Stefanov and I'm hosting this podcast. Please join us on our Twitter and Facebook accounts. Hello and welcome to Votes and Ballots podcast. As this is the first edition for the year, I would like to wish a healthier and a more successful 2021 to all of you. Today we are going to talk about the European Union's election observation missions. Uh, I deliberately um, decided to have that uh, topic on the podcast because I know that many of the people who follow the podcast are part of those missions. They go and observe elections around the world for the European Union. Last year was not the best for those missions as because of the uh, COVID-19 most of the missions were cancelled or uh, transferred into small expert missions. Um, As a former observer uh, part of those missions I can state that those missions are a life-changing experience because you uh, meet a lot of different uh, cultures but they're important also because um, they are upholding the standards for uh, election observation and also for the fairness of uh, elections around the world. I was wondering who could be the best source of uh, information on what is happening with the missions this year and about uh, the plans of the European Union for those missions um, in the situation of uh, COVID-19. I managed to find Mr. Uh, Patrick Costello, who is the head of the uh, division um, working on uh, election observation in the European External Action Service. Patrick turned out to be a very nice guy, a a full professional. So uh, let's hear what he told us in his interview for the podcast. Now I'm saying hello to Patrick. Patrick, welcome to Votes and Ballots podcast. Good afternoon, Daniel. Nice to talk. Uh, very happy that uh, we have you uh, here in our podcast. Let's start with uh, one uh, introductionary uh, question. Uh, yes, uh, I started uh, like most of the people know what the European Union's uh, election observation mission is. Um, And I presume that some of our listeners uh, have been observers around the world with with those missions. But uh, certainly there are people who who haven't heard about those missions. Can you say in a couple of uh, sentences what uh, these missions are? Yeah, uh, well, um, we, when we send an observation mission, uh, we send group of observers, um, long-term and short-term observers, and also a core team of electoral experts to observe and assess an electoral process from the beginning to the end. That means not just the question of looking at what happens on election day, um, but it also means observing 
um, what happens during the campaign, looking at the legal framework, um, looking at what happens after the vote in terms of counting and tabulation, um, and also looking at the appeals process. Um, and on the basis of that assessment by the observers, uh, an observation mission produces a report um, and a series of recommendations. And those recommendations are uh, recommendations to the country concerned about how to improve uh, the standards of their elections on the basis of the international standards which the country has signed up to. Let's imagine that observers are on the ground, that uh, they are doing their everyday job, they are establishing their connections with the local interlocutors, with the local uh, election administration. Can you give a slightly bigger picture what kind of instrument uh, is the election observation and what's the point of having it and it is actually part of the foreign service of the European Union. What's the point of having that? Well, for the European Union, it's a, it's a very important instrument. It's, it's, it's very visible. When we, have a, when we have an observation mission in a country, um, there is a lot of coverage. We have observers all over the country looking not just you know, beyond the usual diplomatic engagements in the capital. An observer mission means we have people uh, all over the country. We're engaging often with interlocutors that the European Union doesn't always engage with on a very regular basis, you know, uh, local party leaders, uh, polling station workers, uh, voters, um, citizens, um, civil society groups, etc. And because we, we only go and observe in countries where we're invited to go and where um, we send before we go, we send what's called an exploratory mission, which assesses the um, you know, usefulness, advisability and feasibility of deploying a mission. And we only go if, if it's clear that the main electoral stakeholders, you know, the political parties, the government, the administration, the civil society organizations want us to be there. Um, and they want us to be there for a whole variety of reasons. You know, a, a, an observation mission can't guarantee that, uh, you know, there is going to be uh, no, any, any uh, problems with an election, mm -hmm. um, but it can usually document the problems that there are. And I think, I think what's becoming more and more important in observation mission work is the recommendations that the mission comes up with, because those recommendations are then followed up very carefully by our delegations, you know, our missions on the ground with the country concerned to look at ways of improving um, uh, electoral processes. And we've seen in a number of countries that over several electoral cycles, we have seen very many improvements and strengthening of the electoral system and democracy in general. So we, we think it's one of the most important instruments that the EU has to support democracy across the world um, and also human rights. Yeah. The European Union in, is observing mainly in Africa, Asia, Latin America, uh, but at the same time, it, it doesn't do that in its closest neighborhood. Eastern Partnership, the Balkans, this is, this is uh, 
the, this job is left to the OEC, right? I mean, is this a good policy? Well, I think we have a we have a very good arrangement with the OSC um, because the OSC observes elections in the OSC's member states. Hmm? Yeah. Um, so that includes, as you say, uh, these the countries of the Eastern Partnership, uh, the Balkans, and so on. It also includes the EU's own member states. It also includes Russia and the United States. Um, and to avoid duplication of efforts and resources. Um, it makes more sense, I think, for us to have this division of labor. The one exception, by the way, is that uh, the European Union does observe elections in Kosovo. In Kosovo, yeah. Yeah, but we observe everywhere else. So we observe in the southern neighborhood. Uh, we also observe, as you say, in Africa and Asia and Latin America. Um, and in that way, I mean, you know, resources for election observation are, are, are not duplicated unnecessarily. Um, the OSCE has a methodology of observation which is very similar to ours, so, so there is no need, as far as we see it, for us to duplicate them or for them to duplicate us. Yeah. One question that I think would be of very high interest, uh, especially in the context of the, uh, of the COVID-19 and 2020 and, and, uh, and the future observation missions in, in this year, can you shed a little bit more light on the process? How do you determine where the election observation mission is, is organized and what, the for, what would be the format of a mission? Because we know that there are full-fledged missions, expert missions. Yeah. Okay. So um, I, think, I think that there, there, are, there are two separate processes that, that, that go on. And the first is, is what happens anyway and has nothing to do with COVID. And the second is, it also happens anyway, but where, where the consideration of the COVID situation becomes important. The general, um, the first thing is that we have, a, we have quite a detailed process where we, every year, um, we set priorities for observation. And those priorities are set after a whole set of internal discussions here with all of the different uh, country and regional departments. We also discuss those priorities with member states uh, and also with the European Parliament. And on the basis of that, the High Representative, Mr. Borrell, takes a decision mm -hmm. um, at, the, at the beginning of each year as to what the priorities are. Um, and six months later, we go through the whole process again to do a midterm review because there are always some elections which are happening or were, were planned to happen, which are not going to happen and you know things change. Yeah. So yeah. We, we, we're in this kind of rolling process of setting priorities. Now, it is one thing to set an election as a priority. It's another thing to take a decision to deploy. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, if we have uh, a country's election in our priority list and we receive an invitation from the country to observe, then as I said before, we send what's called an exploratory mission. Uh, one of my team leads a, a group of experts who go to the country and meet with all of the interlocutors mm -hmm. and look at the pros and cons of deployment. Is this going to be a wise use of resources? But also, is it feasible? Is it feasible? In sometimes terms of we have logistics, probably. Logistics, security. Yeah. You know, sometimes we have situations where 
you know, there are certain parts of a country that there is no way that we could send observers yeah, safely. I've been to Pakistan. There you go. Um, uh, and when we're faced with that situation, we then also have to look at that in terms of if we can't observe in certain areas of a country, what does that do to the credibility of the findings of the mission? Is it still worth sending? Is it not worth sending, etc.? Now on COVID, we've taken very much, if you like, a case-by-case -case assessment, right? So that we, we make the decision in relation to COVID when we're after the exploratory mission or sometimes before the exploratory mission, because last year, there were several countries who were on the priority list mm -hmm. and we couldn't even send the exploratory mission because of, because, COVID. Of, because of COVID. And if you can't send the exploratory mission, there's no way we can deploy a full observer mission. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How many, how many full-fledged missions did you have last year? Well, post COVID, uh, the only one we had was Ghana. Uh, was Ghana. Yeah. We also had, uh, uh, earlier in the year, we had observer missions in Peru and in Guyana, mm -hmm. but but they were deployed. And in fact, the Guyana one, we had to um, evacuate them before they'd formally completed their work, uh -huh. so that the, the the work was limited because of the COVID situation. So, and I think it's important also to mention when talking about the COVID situation that this is not only about it's partly about the risks to observers. You know, our observers who go to this country facing risks of, of getting COVID, um, are the, is the health system in the country concerned able to deal with that? And if not, what possibilities of evacuate? All of that stuff has to be looked at. But it's also reputational, yeah? Because, because it's also about could observers be going and actually uh, bringing COVID with them? Mm -hmm. I give an example here, um, which is Bolivia, which was, you know, politically and in terms of priority, one of the most important missions, uh, most important elections in terms of whether we could have a big impact and, 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 and our presence could be important and everybody wanted us there. We were not able to do it. And part of this was, you know, Bolivia had very serious COVID figures. Um, and we were concerned about deploying the observers, but it was also because if we had had a case of an observer being suspected of passing COVID to a local population in Bolivia, that would have had a really serious political impact because Bolivia being a majority indigenous uh, population, the historical resonance of white Europeans coming bringing disease mm -hmm is not something that it was it was worth risking. And that's why even though we, we really would have been very keen to deploy to Bolivia, we ended up having to deploy uh, an expert mission, which is not an observation mission because we don't have the same kind of coverage, yeah. but at least it allows us to make some kind of an assessment of an electoral process. We send a, a small team of electoral experts who are based in the capital. Um, and they're able to, 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 to do an assessment. That was all we could do. Yeah. Okay, so as you mentioned, Ghana was the last mission. Is an ongoing one or probably just finished. So what are the results? I mean, most of the people are curious to hear whether we are going to have full-fledged missions while we're still in COVID-19 situation. I presume that we're going to have that for at least a year more, uh, I think globally, probably in Europe, we can uh, try to 
um, open our lives uh, again in six months, but globally, it will be at least a year. So what are your, your plans uh, uh, having in mind the COVID-19 for 2021? Yeah, well, I think, like I said, it's very much case by case. We were able to deploy in Ghana because Ghana had not suffered a terrible pandemic and also has rather good um, health and hospital facilities. Um, so, so, you know, we put in place a very serious uh, protocols in relation to COVID, mm -hmm. um, but the mission was able to deploy. Um, we also decided to only send long-term observers. Um, and the only short-term observers we had were those recruited through the local diplomatic missions. Again, this was about reducing risk. Now, each, each country we are looking at, those questions need to be looked at. And of course, you can't look at, look at it on one date and assume that it will be the same. So we're making those decisions for each country as close to the time when we have to decide as possible so that we have the best information in relation to, to um, decisions um, concerning the safety of observers. I mean, it's, you know, we have the duty of care. Well, I mean, the, the, the commission has the duty of care for the observers, but, you know, in making a decision to deploy, we, we have to be sure that the observers um, are going to be safe. You know, it, it is extremely hard to tell and every country situation is different. Yeah. You know, we're looking at the moment at, uh, to give an example, we're looking at the moment at uh, Peru, where we'll have to make a decision fairly soon on deployment. And where, you know, what we have to, in addition to the factors that I've just mentioned, we also have to take into account that if we do deploy, we'll be deploying people into very high altitude um, areas where you know the risks of respiratory illness are high independently of COVID and that then also becomes a factor in relation to how serious COVID is if, if any observer got it so uh -huh. you know that, that kind of thing has to be properly thought about we're doing everything we can to deploy in in relation to to our priority elections as much as we can because we also recognize that there is damage caused if we're not able to deploy yeah but we, but you know, we have to balance that against against uh, the safety of personnel and the reputational risk. So you mentioned Peru. Can you mention some uh, some more uh, countries that are on the on the list for for this year? Um, yeah, be very interesting for for the listeners. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, there's a there's a there's a few um, that are on the priority list for this year. Um, including, um, this is for full observation missions, including Ethiopia and Zambia in Africa, um, including Peru and Honduras in Latin America, um, including um, um, Palestine, which looks as though it may finally be happening. Yeah, which is on the list for many years, I think. Yeah, uh, you know, and yeah, but that suddenly the decree has been signed, which means that um, the elections are now looking more likely to take place. Um, it also includes um, Iraq, 
although we'll have to look at that through the exploratory mission, particularly in terms of the security. Um, so yeah, I mean, those are the, you know, I've probably, I've probably missed one or two, but those are the, those are the kind of main ones. Oh, and it includes Kosovo's municipal elections as well. Yeah. Yeah, those are all very interesting for election observation, I have to note. Last question, what is, your, uh, what is your prediction for the development of the, of the election uh, observation trends that, that you observe that, that mm. change in the, in the nature of the election observation in the coming years? Yeah, well, several, several things uh, in terms of trends. Um, first trend that I think is really important to notice is the context, is the context of global democracy, which is which is uh, which is not a great trend at the moment. Okay, so yeah, um, unfortunately, unfortunately, you know, last year was the 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 first year since two thousand and one that a majority of the world's population are not living in democracies. So I think the first thing is that need for this kind of work um, is not going to disappear anytime soon. Um, you know, maybe, uh, uh, you know, uh, a decade ago, there might have been the hope that after a certain amount of time, it would, international election observation may become less important and less necessary. I think it's probably more important, more necessary than it's been for a long time. First, first trend. Second trend is that one of the biggest challenges to electoral integrity that we are seeing in today's world, um, and I think this has been very clearly demonstrated by events in the United States in the last few weeks, is the online challenge to electoral integrity and the way in which um, interference and manipulation of information in that online space can be used to manipulate voters. We have been developing over the last two years um, a methodology for starting to look at the online campaign and what has been happening in the online campaign and to look at the legal framework and policy framework around that in countries. Um, it is becoming ever more important to do that. I think independently of COVID, um, this becomes a, a crucial part of looking at elections and, 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 and election observation organizations have to have to address that. Third one is the one you mentioned, which is the uh, electoral technologies. We're working with uh, the other big international observation organizations to develop a, uh, something of a common approach to this. Digital technologies are used for, you know, whether it's uh, biometric voter registration or digital transmission of votes or digital counting or tabulation and so on. The question is, um, how is that done in a way which is uh, uh, transparent, inclusive, and most importantly, which strengthens rather than reduces the trust of citizens in a country in the electoral process. We started, uh, um, and there's been a lot of work done on this over the last uh, few years, but, but I think that work was all accelerated by the experience of Kenya in 2017, um, when, where one of the reasons why the Supreme Court struck down the results of the election in Kenya was because when they asked for the paper trail um, to be able to verify uh, the, the electronic transmission system, the paper trail had not been kept 
properly and therefore the court said that it was unable to judge as to whether this election had been manipulated or not. So this, this kind of question of the introduction of technology being done in a transparent way and in a verifiable way becomes essential to um, maintaining um, trust in the credibility of electoral processes. Um, and observers can play a role in that. Those are the the, the, the main trends. Um, but certainly, I mean, in this world where um, there is so much um, democratic backsliding, where the levels of polarization continue to grow, partly as a result of the online phenomena that I mentioned, you know, election observation is becomes ever more vital and ever more challenging because it also means that what an election observation mission says or does is under a different kind of scrutiny from the way it perhaps used to be. Political parties in a country are always very keen to instrumentalize what an election observation mission says in one way or another. Um, you know, false statements from an election observation mission can circulate online and cause all sorts of issues. It is a different world, I think, from from a decade ago, um, and and we have to adapt to it. Yeah, but the most important thing, the, which I think is, was like a music to the ears of the election experts and election observers who are probably listening to our podcast, is that election observation is getting more and more important. Uh, and it's going to last uh, forever. Uh, this is something that we all would like <laughs> well, to. to hear. I wouldn't say forever. And perhaps I would just also throw in one other one other trend here. Yeah. Um, because there have been in the last couple of years there have been a number of of key elections where international observers have not been invited. Um, and if we're not invited, there's no, you know, we can't, we can't, we can't go and observe an election if we're not wanted. Huh? Um, and what we have been finding um, is that where, where we are not able to go and observe, the role that um, domestic observers play is absolutely uh, uh, essential and vital. And I think the other another trend that has been happening over the last uh, few years, and I think will continue into the future, is the way in which internationally the domestic observer network and domestic observer organizations with their declaration of, of principles um, has gone from strength to strength. And um, even when we do deploy international observer missions, um, if there is a, a, a good, uh, solid um, uh, domestic observer organization, that is, is, is going to be a, an enormous um, um, help to the work of the International Observer Mission. And sometimes it can be the other way around as well, because if domestic observers are facing difficulties in getting their credentials to observe and um, are facing different kinds of uh, pressures um, from authorities in countries, international observers can help help in creating the space for them yeah. to work. Yes. So I think what I think one of the trends over the next years, I think, you know, it, it perhaps used to be the case that there was a level of mistrust between domestic observers and international observers. Uh, the, the 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 trend that I'm seeing is that um, 
both domestic and international observers are recognizing how vital they are to each other. Okay, uh, thank you very much for that uh, for that interview. Hope that 2021 will be quite better for the for the uh, European Union selection observation missions and for the people who like to participate in uh, those missions from the European Union, from the member states, for all those friends. And of course, all the best to, to your team. Um, and hopefully we're going to have a number of interesting uh, election observation missions in the coming months. Fingers crossed, Daniel, and thanks ever so much. And through you, um, thanks to all the experts and observers um, who make, make uh, doing this work possible. This was Votes and Ballots podcast. Thank you for listening and follow us on our profiles on Facebook and Twitter.